So grab your Bibles with me, okay? And let's go to the book of Acts. We're going to look in uh, chapter 9 and a few other passages of Scripture. But while you're going there, let me just uh, say how thankful I am for your generosity. We're in this season right now where we are fundraising for what is called EVC Go Gift. And that is 100% of the funds begins to fund all of the different church planting opportunities that we have, both locally as well as globally. Uh, And right now we're sitting at around $153,000 that has been given. And I praise God. God for that. That funds Community Link here in our local uh, food uh, uh, bank and, and just so many different things that, that I hope that you know that impacts. We don't keep any of that. All of that goes out as we lead you to be one of the most generous churches of our generation. So maybe you've missed that opportunity and you haven't had a chance to get involved in that. And we just, it's not too late to continue to give to that. And you can partner with us in taking the gospel all around the world. We loved having Saydu, who was from Northwest Africa, who was with us last week, Pastor Randy interviewed him. How many of you were here for that? It was amazing to hear his story. Didn't you love hearing how God just used his story? And he is, by the way, one of the ones that we're partnering with. And they are going to be, by the funds that we are using, uh, there are going to be over 30 different church plants that are going to be happening in that Northwest African area that we are going to be partnering with them in that. And so I'm excited about that. Yeah, uh, I I want you to know that we sent him out this last week. He's back uh, home. But before he uh, left, we decided to pray with him, and we decided to wash his feet just as, as serving him, and we also decided that we were going to get him some cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, okay? So we sent him back to uh, Northwest Africa with a Stetson hat and some great boots, okay? And he loved it and was so grateful. And I just want you to know that the Lord uses your generosity to impact people all over the world. So thank you for that. We are starting a new series next week called The Walk. And we are going to be taking a look at the passage of Scripture where it says Jesus resolutely turned towards Jerusalem. He began uh, walking towards Jerusalem knowing that he was going to be going to the cross. And I want to be using that passage of Scripture to start getting our hearts hearts ready for the Easter season as we are in that, and I can't wait for what God is going to do with that. Now, we've been in this series called Unstoppable. We're wrapping this series up today, and we've been learning from the first century church in the book of Acts, the way that they were so faithful in the midst of persecution and opposition and resistance, yet they continued to grow, and there was this unstoppable movement of God that we were seeing in the first century, and we've also been learning from Believers who are modern-day Christians, who are some of our heroes of the faith. We heard from Bob Fu from China a few weeks ago. We heard from Seydu last week, and we've been learning through different videos and through our persecuted church experience, and we've learned a lot of lessons. I've really learned from them. I've learned about joy in the middle of difficulty. Have you learned about that? How to have peace, even though it's kind of tough, and you may be going through a time that's chaotic in your life. The thing I want us to focus in on today and the lesson that makes an unstoppable church, an unstoppable believer, is this issue that is called perseverance. It's this character trait where you press through even whenever you feel like you can't and you don't have much more uh, maybe in the gas tank and you just feel like you don't have it. And we're going to learn something from, uh, from Saul today when he was in this wilderness experience. But I want to tell you about a story that I learned about a young man named Jamal. Jamal grew up in an Islamic country where there were a lot of radical, militant Islamic folks in his land where he lives. He's currently living there still. And uh, he was a Muslim at that time. Early on, as a young person, while he was in high school, he even led a group of people to really try to try to pressure anybody who became a Christian into going back to their Islamic roots. And he was highly involved in that. And he, he, he despised Christians. He hated them is what he says in his story, and, and, and wanted to, really wanted to be a part of a persecution towards them in his country. He met a Christian, though, by the name of Giannis, and Giannis was also a young man who was resolute in his faith, and Giannis wanted to make certain that he showed love towards Jamal uh, in spite of the opposition, and they would get in some conversations and dialogue about Jesus and about the Bible versus the Quran. And uh, finally, Giannis said this to Jamal. He said, I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to just read the Bible. Read it and begin to compare it to the Quran and begin to look. And, and I, w- I want to share with you what Jamal said about this as, as, uh, as he began to read the Bible. He said, I learned from Giannis in the Bible about Jesus. 
And whenever I compared the Bible and the Quran, I started to leave the Quran and gradually I secretly started to love the Bible. I think it's incredible. By the way, we're going to be doing a Bible drive in some of those areas in the world where it's hard to get God's word. Folks, you need to understand this. And you heard it in Sadu's story, who read God's word 10 times in five years. He read it through two times a year, much more than many of us will ever read the word of God, if we're honest. The Bible changes people's lives. There's power in God's word when you begin to take it into your life. Well, this is what happened with Jamal. He said, I even sought advice from the local imams on how to debunk Giannis' claims about Jesus, but they were unable to give me answers. They simply warned me to stay away from him or other Christians who would only seek to trap me. But he said, I continued to meet with Giannis, and I secretly met with him. And then when he was in his early 20s, through a period of time over reading the Bible and spending time with a Christian who was just loving on him and not trying to be combative with him, just being bold though with him, he said in his early 20s he decided to step across that line in that difficult place in the world and put his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Just like Sadu did that we learned about his story last week. Now one of the things that that Jamal said was, and I quote him, he says, I was so afraid to tell anybody because I knew what it would mean if the Islamists heard of the news of my conversion. And this is what he says, and I doubt any of us have experienced this. He said this, they would want to kill me. They, they literally would want to take my life. So he continued to meet with Giannis and secretly, and he, and he was scared to let anybody know about his faith, and, and he struggled with this. But one of the things that as I talked with Sadu this last week, he said, Bart, in a Muslim country like that, where everybody bows down and prays five times a day, it's kind of hard to stay undercover as a Christian because suddenly they notice that you're not doing that. And they begin to suspect that there's something that's different about you. And that is exactly what happened with Jamal. With Jamal, his father began to notice some changes within him. And his father gathered the men in their community and his brothers. And they were going to do an intervention with Jamal. And they asked him, in fact, his father said, Are you, in front of all these people, a penty? And that was a derogatory term for a Christian. Are you a Christian? Now, this was his moment. He could have either just said, no, I'm not. But he said in the story that is in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, he said, I said boldly as I looked into my father's eyes, I am. His father ordered the men in his community to beat him for days. They would beat him over and over again. Uh, trying to get him to recant his faith, but he wouldn't recant. His father finally brought him before him. And uh, can you imagine your, your family doing this to you? Your, uh, when you're decided, you decided to follow Jesus, his father brought him before everyone again. And this is what his dad told him. He said, I want to kill you, but I'm not going to do that. But you are going to leave this community. And don't ever come back unless you are a Muslim. And so he left and was heartbroken. In fact, what his dad told him, if you come back, this is what his dad told him, we will burn you alive. Can you imagine the abandonment that Jamal must have felt in that time of, I'm going to follow Jesus and this is what happens? Can you imagine the way that he must have felt at that moment whenever his family just deserted him and turned on him? And, and maybe there's been a time in your life when you decided that you were going to be bold and follow Christ or you were going to get serious and do the right thing. And you may have been in that time where, where maybe you felt like there was resistance to this. And can you imagine Jamal uh, even said this. He said whenever, by the way, his brothers who found out about the fact that he went to another town uh, and, and he was actually, he connected with some other Christians and now they were starting to plant churches and his brothers found out about it and started to try to hunt him down in that country. And they, were, they said, not only were we ashamed of you, we are ashamed that you're making other Christians. And so they burned his house to the ground thinking that he was inside. That's what the story says. They burned his house to the ground. Now you would think that Jamal would be bitter. You would think that he would want to retaliate. Here's a picture of Jamal today. We see him, and this is uh, not long ago, and you see there's joy that he has. And in fact, what he said was this. He says, it has been hard to follow Jesus, but it has been worth it. 
It's been worth it. And he said, but I pray that God will use my life, even if they kill me, I pray that God will use my life for his glory. And these are some powerful words that he says, and I forgive my family. And I pray that my father will come to know the love of Jesus in the way that I have. By the way, he's still planting churches in Africa. I learned so much from these Christians. I'm challenged so much because I'm tempted certain times to hold grudges towards people that maybe slight me a little bit. Maybe you can relate to that. I'm tempted to not overlook flaws of others. Or, or I'm tempted whenever it gets hard to kind of throw the towel in and to want to give up, you know. And, and, and these believers, they show us much about joy and they show us about peace. And, and, and what I want you to see today is they show us about perseverance. They show us how to endure in the middle of hardship. We're going to look in Acts 9, and let me give you some big picture context. The church of Jesus, this radical movement that is happening, is being pressured by religious, the Jews, the religious people. They're being threatened, they're being persecuted, and they're being told that if they continue to preach in the name of Jesus, they're told that they are going to be imprisoned, some of them were imprisoned, and even told that they are going to be killed and now, there was one who was their primary persecutor. His name was Saul. Now, today you're going to hear me use Saul and Paul. You're going to hear me use those words. Maybe you're new to the Bible, and if you are, we love it that you're here. Okay? What I want you to hear is Saul and Paul are the same people. Saul is his name prior to his relationship with Christ. Paul is who he becomes, and you may hear us say the Apostle Paul, but you need to know I'll use those interchangeably today, okay? So if I accidentally say Paul, uh, it's the same person as Saul today. But Saul was the primary persecutor in the church. He was public enemy number one to this new movement of Jesus. He was trying to stop it with everything. He hated Christians. He detested Those of us who followed Christ, in fact, so much that it says in Acts chapter 9, before he became a follower of Christ, it says this in Acts 8, it says that he was literally holding the coat of those who had taken stones and stoned Stephen to death, Uh, this one who had preached this bold message. And Saul was giving approval to this. And then it says in chapter 9, as it keeps going, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats. Check this out. This guy's obsessed with killing believers. With every breath, like every breath, he's just filled with hatred towards Christians. With every breath. And he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. It wasn't just this passive kind of uh, mentality if I happen to come across them. No, you're going to see that, that Saul was aggressive. Saul was going from town to town trying to drag Christians uh, back and have them either imprisoned or, or see that they were going to be put to death like Jesus was and like, and like Stephen was. This was the first great outbreak of persecution in the church. Now, what you're going to discover if you read his story is that he is on the road to a place called Damascus. And he is literally going to Damascus to imprison Christians, to persecute them. And he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who had been risen from the dead, he was alive, he had ascended to the Father, but he seeks Paul or Saul out. And now there are so many lessons that I could go into on this today, so many life applications when you talk about Saul to Paul. How about this, uh, how God can take even the greatest persecutor and turn him into the greatest church planter. God can take uh, people that we might be inclined to give up on and write off. But what do we learn? Don't ever give up on, on, don't give up on anybody. God can transform anybody's life. How about this lesson? God uses the most unlikely people to do some of his greatest works. Have you noticed that? God loves to do things like that. And I could camp out there, but that's not where I felt led to go with you today. I want us to see something that happened in the life of Saul right after he began to follow Jesus. What I want you to hear today, and I want you to understand, especially if you're new around here and you're wondering what we believe, and what, I want you to understand that our salvation is by grace and that it, it doesn't cost us anything. It costs Jesus his life. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? We believe that. But I want you to understand something. To follow Jesus to really follow Jesus 
is costly. And we, we sometimes are oblivious to this in the Western church. Um, we don't face threats, and we don't face maybe sometimes the pressure. Now, I do think that things are changing in our culture. I think you're probably seeing some of it happen before our eyes, and we felt led to begin to prepare for just understanding persecution when it really begins to happen, okay? Uh, and what I want you to see is that when Saul started to follow Jesus, that there must have been some times in his life, just like with when we talked about Bob Fu, who came to faith in Christ in China and was a pastor in the underground church, well, and he was arrested and in prison when we, when we discover Sadu and we hear what he faced with his family walking out upon him. And, 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 and by the way, isn't it, you may not know this, but he and his family have been restored and, uh, and they, they've welcomed him back into uh, their lives. They're not believers yet, but at least that has happened. But there, there are times that I observe and I see in these believers' lives that when they decided to get serious and follow Jesus and you, you maybe have experienced this in some way or another, that it actually got a little tougher in life. Like that life wasn't actually smooth sailing as soon as you got saved. Uh, that in fact, it, maybe you, it, you face some resistance or you face some opposition. Maybe you're facing some pressure today. You, in this series, decided to get serious about maybe sharing your faith with somebody for the first time. And you thought that they would be excited about it, but you faced some opposition. Maybe you faced a little bit of uh, loneliness in the midst of this. And, and even what we see is that there are times where we have even doubts. Where maybe you're in the middle of a difficult season right now, like some of these believers went through, and you've wondered, God, do you really even love me? God, are you with me? God, are you, are, are, are you still with me, God? Have you ever been there? When you made a, a choice to do the right thing or to follow the Lord in obedience, and maybe you sacrificed something and you gave up something, you took a risk for Jesus Maybe it got a little harder that week, or you're in a season now that's difficult. Maybe where you were wondering, God, if this is what it means to follow you, this wasn't supposed to happen like this. They never told me that, right? Whenever it was going to, well, I'm trying to tell you this now, okay? I want you to understand. Maybe, maybe you decided, uh, again, uh, that you were going to follow Jesus, and then, and then how about this? Somebody that you love got sick. Maybe you decided you were going to be obedient to the Lord and start living generously. And you're going to start giving. And you're going to give of yourself. And then your car broke down that week. Have you ever experienced something like that? Maybe you were going to start being faithful in, in generosity. And then something like this happened. You lost your job. Here's what I'm trying to tell you is that just because you decide to follow Jesus doesn't mean it's always going to be smooth sailing. Now what you will see is that he is always with us in those difficult times. And I want you to understand that. Maybe you decided to actually forgive somebody instead of retaliating like you normally would. And you thought that the relationship was going to be restored because you're doing the right thing. But instead that person slandered you. And you're thinking, man, what is going on, Lord? I didn't think it was going to go down like this. God, why is this happening? Can I just tell you, as a believer who's been following Jesus for, for quite a while now, since my teenage years, can I tell you this, that every Christian who has ever gotten serious about following Christ, if we are honest, and we want to be honest here, we don't want to put on the fake plastic smile. We want to be real. We want to be authentic. But every Christian has probably gone through a season where we've wondered, God, what is up? God, where are you in this? God, I don't understand right now. In fact, what I would say is this. A time where you feel like you're in what we'll call today the wilderness. Those wilderness experiences. Have you ever experienced that? Some of you are in the wilderness maybe today. What do we do in the wilderness? We're trying to, most of us, just survive. We're trying to just get by. 
We don't feel like we're thriving. We just feel like, God, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. And in that process of being in the wilderness, we, we have doubts. We may feel confused. We may feel frustrated. You know, and maybe you're in that place today. And I, I would just say the first step in actually beginning to, is beginning to acknowledge, Lord, I'm in the wilderness right now. Lord, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this. And today what I want you to see is that we've all been there at one time or another. Because you're in the wilderness does not mean that God is punishing you as we're going to begin to see. In fact, what I would suggest to you, if you're in the wilderness, it's the wilderness experiences where God is not punishing us, but where he is greatly preparing us. It's where he's shaping us into the people that he's making us into. Now, sometimes, if we're honest, we do make dumb choices that put ourselves in the wilderness, okay? But there are other times... God leads us into the wilderness because he has a plan in getting us ready for what is next. God is shaping us for something, and I want you to see this. Saul was an example for us. In fact, in 1 Timothy, he would even say this about his life as an example. I want us to see he's an example. There's a pattern in Paul's life that we can apply. He says, God had mercy on me, he says in 1 Timothy. God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime, what does it say? Example, an example of his great patience, and I love that Paul says this about himself, of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. I love that Paul was, was real about that. And he often struggled with, I think, probably feeling great guilt and shame from his past, and maybe you can relate to this, but he understood that he, by God's grace and his mercy, was being used by the Lord to do something incredible. And so this is, a, this is a, a, a pattern in Paul's life. So Saul encounters Jesus. He has a radical conversion on the road to Damascus. I won't go into that today. But I want you to see that after he decides to follow Jesus, it actually says that his eyes are blinded and that they help these, these other Christians kind of help him get to another place there. But they are scared of him. They're terrified because he was a spiritual terrorist. You need to understand that. He was known for murdering Christians. Can you imagine? Right? And, and so he's public enemy number one. And so here's what it says. God, God goes to this man named Ananias and begins to lead him to go help Saul. Now, this isn't the Ananias we talked about a few weeks ago who died. This is another Ananias. This Ananias, God goes to him and, says, and begins to lead him to go help Saul. But, but I want you to notice what he says in verse 13. Chapter 9, verse 13. But Lord... You need to understand something, but and Lord should never go together. <laughs> but Lord, no, but he's honest. I love that Ananias is honest. Don't you love the Bible, how honest it is? He's struggling with what God's leading him to do. But Lord, exclaim Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. In other words, Lord, this guy's psycho. He's scary. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my, and I want you to say the next word with me. Say it with me. My, I want you to hear something today. You are also chosen. Not because you deserve it or I deserve it. We are chosen by God's grace. And that if you are a believer sitting here today, you need to understand that God has been, you heard Danny say, say it a minute ago, pursuing you and me in our lifetime because he loves us, okay? And he says, go for he is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel and now this part, this next verse is very interesting to me because he's chosen and yet I will show him how much he must. What does it say, church? Oh, we don't like that verse, do we? I must show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Wait a minute, that doesn't go together. You're saying I'm chosen and you love me and yet you're saying I'm also going to have hardship. It doesn't square very well with what is called the prosperity gospel. I want you to understand that, that in this world, Jesus said, this world is not our home. This world is going to hate you. And if it hated Jesus, he said, you who are servants, if it hated the master, why would we think that it wouldn't hate us as well? 
that when you get serious about following Jesus, sometimes it gets a little difficult. If you keep reading this chapter, you're going to find some of the suffering that Saul endured was opposition. It was hardship. It was delays in the wilderness. Remember, his, pa- his life is a pattern for yours and mine. It, we learn from it. And the goal in learning about him and these other believers is to give us, if you feel like you're in the wilderness today, it's to give us a little bit of hope in the middle of hardship. It's to begin to anchor us and that we do have heaven out ahead of us, but you need to understand that you, you have Jesus that, that promises to be with you in the middle of your hardship. Hope is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. My wife's name is Hope, and I think I believe that about that statement right there, but I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about a different kind of hope. Hope is what enables you to persevere whenever you're in the wilderness. Hope is what it, it, it fuels you to be able to continue to press on when you don't feel like it. In fact, they did a study at John Hopkins University a few years back where they took rats and they would take these rats and they would, they would put them in a tub of water where they couldn't get out of the water. And they wanted to see, and this researchers wanted to see how long they could exist and survive in what felt like a hopeless situation. Now, um, I, I thought maybe I would try this up here and bring some rats. Uh, I, I couldn't even handle the goldfish a few weeks ago, okay? All right, so that didn't go very well. But, but they put rats in the water, and here's what they discovered. That the rats could only survive about 10 minutes of swimming like that until they decided to change it. Same rats, okay, and, and same, same water, same situation. The only thing they injected into it was a little bit of hope. So they'd take the rat out for about two to three seconds and then put them back in. Take them out, you know, just when they get ready to go on, take them out, put them back in. They would keep fighting. They'd keep fighting. And, and, and the only difference was this. The difference was the introduction of hope. My purpose is to give you bunch of rats today hope, okay? To give you hope, all right? But seriously. Um, so if we keep following Saul's story, here's what happens. Ananias goes to him. Ananias begins to help him. He steps out in faith, all right? There's a big story in Ananias and Saul, by the way, but I don't have time to go into that. Saul gets baptized, you would think right after he gets baptized, it was going to be smooth sailing. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Come on. Here's what we find. Right out of the water. Here's what it says, verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. You know what is fascinating about that to me? It's the very believers that he was going there to persecute and kill and imprison. And now the Lord is leading them to care for him. It says, and immediately he began preaching. I love this, okay? We need to understand that coming out of the baptismal waters, your, your baptism is a great testimony. It's your first sermon that you preach, really, in saying, I was dead in Christ and now I'm alive. Coming up out of the waters, immediately he began preaching, okay, or after his baptism, after he began to, to meet with other people, preaching about Jesus in the synagogue. So he's going straight to the Jews, his people first, saying he is the Son of God. He is, Jesus is who he says he is. Now this is incredible. All who heard him were, what were they, amazed. They were perplexed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation amongst Jesus or among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, isn't this Saul the terrorist? Isn't this Saul the persecutor? And didn't he come here to arrest them, these people in Damascus, and take them in chains to the leading priest? And we know what was going to happen to them then. They were going to be stoned to death like Stephen. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, some of the Jews plotted together, we're going to try to stop this message to kill him. Unstoppable, though. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so that they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. It sounds like an episode in 24, okay? They're lowering him down, and, and, he, and, and he, he leaves to go back to Jerusalem. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried. Check this out. He's a new Christian. He tried to meet with the believers... <laughs> 
but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Now, maybe you've read through that many times, or maybe you've never seen it before, but here's what I want you to see. His change was so radical in Christ, nobody believed him. Nobody, nobody was willing to accept him, okay? So here's what I want you to get. Here's your application. Saul was, and we read it, chosen by God, wasn't he? But he was rejected by people. And I want you to understand that when you decide to follow Jesus and you get serious and I get serious, that it's not always going to be people who are applauding your decision to follow Christ. There are going to be some who oppose you. There are going to be some that second guess you. They're going to, they're going to uh, question your motives. They're going to wonder. Saul was opposed by people, in fact, so much that they got angry with him. First, they probably laughed and they thought it was a joke, and then they started getting angry with him, and they even wanted to kill him. Some of you, your biggest surprise when you decided to follow Jesus was that there wasn't this great support system around you, and maybe you're in the wilderness right now. You're wondering if anybody really, you know, is a supporter for you. You need to know Jesus is, and we are as well, but sometimes in the wilderness, we feel lonely, Sometimes we feel like we don't have anybody around us and you got all excited to do the right thing and maybe you thought people would have listened to your story and they're not listening the way that you hoped they would. Maybe your family hasn't been as supportive of your decision to follow Christ. Maybe you expected your friends to have supported you and they, and they didn't. And, and, and by the way, that is a disappointment that I had whenever I started following Jesus when I was at Boswell High School right across the street over there. Now, I was fortunate that I had a great mom and dad that was supportive, but, but I was involved in a lifestyle that was a sinful lifestyle, I'll just tell you that, and I was involved with kids that were doing things that weren't right, and, and all of a sudden, I, I, the Lord, I had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life. And I, I've told you, I didn't want to be a fake anymore. I was going to church, and yet I was living in such hypocrisy. And I was, I was so tired of living this duplicitous life. I just wanted to be real, and I wanted to follow Jesus. And here's what I thought. I thought whenever I decided to follow Jesus and get serious about my faith, I thought that there would be a lot of people that were applauding that decision, but what in, in fact faced my friends didn't get angry with me, but here's what I found. The friends that I was involved, by the way, some of them were Christians. <laughs> they didn't want to be around me anymore. Some of them would, I remember, I told you this a few weeks ago, in a football huddle, I was a middle linebacker, I was a, you know, on the football team, we were getting ready to call a play, and there was a stoppage of play. One of my friends that I kind of partied with and did some things with, he was like, what is up with you? And then the thing that he said that I told you a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, what he said to me was, you're not the same. This, and this is what he said, this won't last. And I remember just not knowing what to do with that. And I remember even a little bit being upset, but also at the same time walking away going, well, at least they're noticing something different. <laughs> Something's happening within me. People are starting to notice. I thought whenever I started this church 23 years ago here in my hometown, that everybody here, all of the churches and everybody around would celebrate and be happy that we were starting a new church. But you know what I discovered? There were several pastors that were supportive, but I also discovered that there were fellow believers that weren't supportive, and I, didn't, I couldn't understand that. I didn't understand. You, you, you do know that sometimes Christians and pastors can get territorial, <laughs> I didn't understand that. I thought we were all on the same train, team trying to reach people for Jesus. We sent out a mailer of 25,000 pieces that went out. That's what we did back in the day, okay, before Facebook. We sent out a mailer, and it went out everywhere. I literally got one of my mailers torn up into hundreds of pieces in an envelope with a note from a bold, anonymous Christian. Did you get that? Bold, anonymous Christian. You know, we call, we, we call them what, uh, keyboard warriors today, okay, who, who said that, that our church wouldn't last and that the kind of church we were was a church that watered down the gospel. I was like, you don't even know me. By God's grace, 23 years, we're still going strong, EBC, amen, right? And, um, and if you're ever around EBC, one thing you will know is that we value God's word and we don't water down the gospel. 
okay? And, uh, but, but I just found it was like I had this fire as a new believer, as a new pastor. I was excited. And you would think that people would be excited with you. And what you will often find is that sometimes there will be believers that will throw the big wet blanket on the fire that you have to follow Christ. And these believers were afraid of Saul. They couldn't believe this. And he felt uh, rejection. He must have felt loneliness at this time. And, 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 and I want you to understand that there are times when you decide to do the right thing that it won't be smooth. Don't be surprised at the rejection. Don't be surprised at the wet blanket people that come into your life. But do not allow them to affect your, persever- your perseverance. But don't be surprised if it happens. Many times, lukewarm believers, they hate it whenever they're around a Christian that is actually on fire for Christ. Many times they feel convicted and they don't like that or they feel hypocritical and so they don't like this. And, and I was a teenager whenever that started happening. You may be a teenager or a young adult here today or whatever. Here's what I want you to hear from me. It was hard and it was some of the loneliest times in my life, but I served Jesus and followed Jesus and I have never regretted that. And what I want you to hear is if you're in this place of wondering if it's worth it, I can tell you with so many other believers here today, following Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. It hasn't been always easy, but it is worth it. So Saul was rejected. He was rejected by fellow believers. It took a guy by the name of Barnabas. We heard about him a few weeks ago. Barney. Good old Barney who came around the encourager, put his arm around Saul and said to the other Christians, this guy's the real deal, guys. What's wrong with us? Accept him in. And maybe you're in this place of following Jesus and you're wondering, here's what I want to ask you. If you're going to get serious about following Christ, I really I want to ask you this point blank. Are you ready for what that may mean? To do the right thing if it's not the popular thing? To do the right thing when others aren't going to support you? Are you ready to be criticized? Are you ready to maybe even be canceled? Are you ready to take a stand for Christ and what that might mean for you? Are you ready to keep pointing people to Jesus even though life is hard right now? Or have you become so consumed with yourself that it's hard to think of anything else? Are you ready to throw in the towel? Look at the scripture with me, verse 27. Notice how many times we see the word boldly. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul... It says how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. What I want you to see is that anywhere and around any group of people that Saul went, he was the same. He continued to preach boldly among the people in Damascus. And then it says, so Saul stayed with the apostles and he went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching what? Boldly, that boldness in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. What if, your question, what if Saul would have allowed all of the rejection and the opposition, what if it would have allowed him to be stopped and he threw the towel in? I don't know if we'd be here today because you realize he was called to minister to those who are Gentiles and that would be those who are not Jews. Here's my question for you. Who needs you to stand firm and persevere? If you're a parent, I would tell you this. Your kids need that from you. If you are a grandparent, your kids and grandkids need that from you. Who is going to be around in the next generation because this generation persevered in hardship? Or are we going to throw in the towel whenever it gets a little challenging or difficult? Okay, so we see that he was chosen, but he was rejected. And here's your final application. Are you ready? Saul was chosen by God, but here's what also happened. He suffered. He suffered. And he suffered much while, and oh, we hate this part. Waiting in the wilderness. Anybody like waiting? You like waiting in lines? No, we hate it. We detest waiting. It takes patience. But there's two key things that we detest oftentimes, especially in the Western church. We struggle with suffering, and we also struggle with waiting and delays. 
And maybe you're in a time where it's hard right now, or maybe it's just a time where you're wondering what's next and you're waiting, you can probably relate. Now, now this can easily be skipped over in this passage. Between verses 22 and 23, there is some time that passes by. Look here, verse 22. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now look at verse 23. After a while. Now we just read through it and it feels like bang, bang, bang. Everything's happening all together. But you need to know that that's not what actually happened. After a while. How long was after a while? Well, after a while, you should know this, is around three years in the wilderness. How do we know? Well, Paul Saul tells us in Galatians chapter 1, he says this, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. That's Jesus who would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Check this out. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were the apostles. That's Peter and John and James and all of them, okay? I didn't go to them. Uh, instead, I went away to Arabia. Do you know where that is? The desert. <laughs> we would call it the wilderness. He goes straight into the wilderness. And later, I returned to the city of Damascus. Check it out, verse 18. Three years later... I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. He hadn't even met Peter yet. Peter was the leader of the church. Peter was one of the great leaders, right? He hadn't met Peter yet. You would think that that would happen, but it hadn't. I stayed with him for 15 days. So he's with Peter for really just a couple of weeks. He ends up meeting James. He doesn't even meet the rest of the apostles in this time. He just gets to know Peter just a little bit. And it says this, that he left. And after these 15 days, and do you know how long he's out in the wilderness again? Well, he tells us, look at Galatians 2. Then, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. This time, somehow he connected with Barnabas. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there... I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message I've been preaching to the Gentiles. So he's meeting with them. This is like the first time he's having a real meeting, and this is the first time those who were the official leaders of the church actually kind of approved of him and sanctioned him. So we're looking at ballpark around 17 years of being in the wilderness in that experience. Now what happened to him while he was in the wilderness? Well, he faced a lot of opposition and he faced not only, not only rejection, but I want you to see he faced physical persecution. Look at some of the hardships that he went through. I want you to see this because it's important we don't skip it over. He says this in 2 Corinthians, five different times. Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. They beat him over and over for following Jesus. Five times, not just once. I mean, I've never been whipped like that. I got some good whippings, but never like that, okay? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now listen to me. If I get on a ship and it goes down one time, you're never getting me back on another one. But this guy... Goes three times, it wrecked. After the second time, would you be going, maybe we need to figure out another way of getting around? Okay? I'm terrified of sharks. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I'm out, okay? But here's what I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've, so flooding and, and people robbing them. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. Do you know where that is? Everywhere. I've faced problems in every situation and amongst every group of people. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but, but he's really clear right here, but are not. There are false believers, brothers and sisters. Okay, I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. Do you think Saul, Paul, suffered some? I have shivered in the cold 
without enough clothing to keep me warm. By the way, do you know where he also spent some of his most fruitful time that we won't even go into depth? In prison. Which is where he wrote many of, of his epistles. The epistles are not the wives of the apostles, okay? It's letters. It's letters. That's what that, he wrote these letters. Do you ever think in the middle of all of this, Saul ever thought this, God, what is happening? I decided to follow you, and this is what I face. You know, the time that I, that I struggled the most when I felt lonely in my, my teenage years, when I started following Jesus, I remember thinking that, God, I decided to follow you. I don't understand why I'm so lonely right now. By the way, in those times is whenever I decided to start reading the Bible for myself over and over and over again. And I discovered that there was this guy named David who also oftentimes would say things in the book of Psalms like, God, what's going on? God, I don't understand this. By the way, many of those times he wrote those Psalms when he was on the run. Do you know where? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. Between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 13, Saul kind of fades out in the book of Acts for just a little bit. And Peter kind of ends up being the primary person in this. But there's a period of time. The point for this is Saul spent time in the wilderness. And the time in the wilderness was not punishment. The time in the wilderness was preparation. It was preparation, and delayed preparation is common. It's common, and I want you to hear that if you're in the wilderness. Moses spent time in the wilderness. Joseph was in the wilderness when he was imprisoned. David was anointed king. He didn't put the robe and the the crown on immediately. He spent time on the run in the wilderness. All of these great men and women in, the God's, in God's word, Saul, Paul, spent time in the wilderness. And if you are in the wilderness, you need to understand something. It's not, sometimes God will discipline us. I don't, I don't dispute that. But what I'm telling you is that many times the wilderness experience is not a punishment, it's a preparation. It's where God is doing something in you, getting you ready for your assignment that he has for what is next. And if you're in the wilderness today, you need to know you're not alone. But here's the other thing that I want you to hear this. Please take this away today. Don't waste your wilderness. You're in the wilderness right now, and you can waste it. And here is how you waste it. We complain. We just, we, we feel, you know, and, and we complain to everybody else. And instead of letting God shape us, and, and, and here's what happens. Just like with Israel, he gives us another lap around the desert. Until we finally get to the place where we are, we're ready for what he wants us to do next. Don't waste your wilderness. Do you know what happens whenever we're in the wilderness and we're suffering? Let me tell you what he's doing. He is stripping away idols that we have in our life. He's tearing things down that we have built up that we often worship besides him. And what he does is he brings us to a place of total dependence upon him. Where we love him above everything else. I love what A.W. Tozer said. And it's a hard saying, but you need to hear this. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And some of you have felt that pain. And you're wondering, God, do you still love me? Right? Saul, who was so smart, he he had great credentials. He'd been taught by Gamaliel. He could have easily... When things started happening, thought that it was all because of him. But you know what God was doing in the wilderness? Tearing down all of that stuff so that he would get to the place of saying, God, take this thorn in my side out. God said, no, but my grace is sufficient. And instead, God, where I am weak, you are made strong. Instead of where I am prideful and bold, you know, and, uh, and obnoxious, he was humbled. Paul wasn't being punished. He was being prepared. And some of you are in this place, and you're tempted maybe to complain and to hate it and all. I want to close with this story. You ready? Here's your story. Heard a story about a little bird that was flying south for the winter. I even have some accompaniment music. That's awesome, okay? And he got caught in a snowstorm. And this bird was flying south. He's going, right? And he's he's happy going to go where it's nice and warm. But he gets caught in the snowstorm, freezes up his wings, and he's, you know, has to land it. And he crash lands. And he's like, this is terrible. I'm going to freeze to death. 
I'm freezing to death. And, you know, he's, he can't, he can't uh, fly because he's frozen up. And all of a sudden, when he thought it couldn't get any worse, a cow walks by him. I don't know how else to say it. Takes a dump on him, okay? And uh, takes, I don't know how to say that from the pulpit. I'll just say it. He did. Poops right on him. So he has this big pile on him. And he's thinking, this has gone from bad to worse. But while he's in the pile, he starts noticing that it's warm, and it starts to warm his little wings up. Y'all like how I'm doing that, okay? You didn't know I could do that. And it's warming his little wings up, and, and he's like, this, is, this actually is okay. It's getting, it, it stinks, but it's okay. And he starts making his way to the top of the pile, and he starts chirping away. Chirp, 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 chirp. He's, his wings are flat. He's getting ready to go. And then a cat comes along, and he eats him. All right, and that's how the story ends. Here's your lesson, though. Not everyone who takes a dump on you is your enemy. Think about it. I know it's still early. Not everyone who digs you out of the mess is your friend. And when you're in the mess, most of the time, it's best to just keep your little chirper shut. We'll close with that. How about that? But do you, do, you, do you hear this? I want you to hear this, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, I wasn't tracking with you until that story. I got it now, man. <laughs> are you hearing that? Is that you may be in the mess right now. God is shaping you right now. And I want you to experience that and, and be thankful for that. This is where God made Saul into Paul. And this is what he's doing in you, my brother and sister, in the wilderness. I want to ask you to pray with me. Our, our team's going to come out. We're going to close with a song. I want you to hear this. As you're in the wilderness, don't miss this. Don't miss this. God loves you. He chose you. You're an instrument that he wants to use for his glory in some way. And you may be in the wilderness, but it doesn't mean that he's forsaken you or that he doesn't love you. And if you will work with him in the wilderness, he will not waste your pain or your suffering or your waiting. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today. This is a message for Christians who are here today. It's a message for us to persevere. It's a message for us to stay faithful. Lord, even to praise you in the middle of pain. Because we know that that is a pure offering. It's a sacrificial gift we bring before you. So may we do that today. Thank you, Jesus, for making the wilderness, making the wilderness bearable because of your presence in our lives. And just as, as Paul would even say, to live is Christ, even in the hardship, in the wilderness. Even if they kill me, to die is gain. Give us that mentality, Lord, to live 